Welcome to Business Mentorship, Keeping It Real, where we feature entrepreneurs and enterprise leaders who participate in ShareYourStories.online. Today, we have a very special guest, Ramia Mariel Alagami Khan, is part of a second generation in her family business and fulfills the roles of CEO for Orbis TerraMedia, editor-in-chief of Thwarwit Magazine, and host of the podcast, The Family Business Voice and Women in Family Business. She's dedicated to bringing the power of content and technology to individuals and businesses to unlock their growth. Ramia joins us today from Bern, Switzerland. And we're going to talk a little bit about content marketing and how our current definition for globalization is changing how we approach our strategies. Welcome. Thank you so much, Trish, for having me. And thanks for that intro. I don't think I've, I've ever been introduced in quite such a fancy way, so I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're super thrilled that you're able to join us today because, you know, I think we're here we are a year into all of the challenges that we've been facing as businesses. And I thought perhaps for our viewing and listening audience, you could start by telling us how you and your family decided to create this particular market niche. I'm sure there's a story behind the story. Oh gosh, like uh, I always say like, you know, our our family business is an accident. Like I think like most entrepreneurial endeavors, I always say like, I, I, I don't like pretending like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't like pretending like you know, we all did this all on purpose. We didn't, like, you know, most of it we stumbled into and we kind of like, we didn't know what we were doing at the time and it happened to turn out okay. Other things did not turn out okay, right? Like that's the things sure. that you never see, um, but that are definitely there. So. Uh, my family is just like, you know, we, we we started out, everything with my parents starts with education. My father is a big advocate for education. The 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 company that he established, what what is what our family business is based on is in education solutions. And it's a big mantra in my family. Education comes first. It's one of the most important things. And my father believes that it can solve any problem in the world. <laughs> and uh, it's a wonderful culture that it's established for all of us. So all of the other businesses that we then established were actually offshoots of those principles, if you will. What we really very quickly understood was there um, that you know there were economic players everywhere in the world that really needed support in terms of like you know peer support, uh, really good high-end original content, and that's where our nonprofit for family businesses in the Middle East came from, the Tharawat Family Business Forum. We established Tharawat Magazine. Uh, we started the print publication in 2008 in the middle of a financial crisis. That wasn't our best moment. That was not our best <laughs> moment, but we're still here. And it's very cool because we still like, you know, we, we've been doing this for 12 years, um, more or less successfully. Even though like online, we have millions of readers, which we're very proud of, which is amazing. Right. And, um, and so, but everything we did was kind of fairly accidental, if you will, because we're just, we're like really that typical entrepreneurial family, right? Like it came out of, okay, we see a gap in the market, we go for it, right? Like, and, and it's just been, it's been a great adventure. Uh, I work with my two sisters. So we're three girls in the second generation girls. I should say women now actually, we're in our <laughs> 30s. sorry. Um, so we're three women in the, in the second generation. And so our focus today is really still split across those those areas, really. So what we do is like we really focus on education solutions on my dad and of his business. And then our businesses are sort of like various business interests, but mostly focused around uh, publishing, content marketing, like, you know, bringing technology and digitalization to various players. And our content niche remains family businesses because it's just our publishing niche remains family businesses because it's right. just what we love. And we right. just believe in family businesses as a very 
as very important players for the future. It's just, uh, we just see it as a, a very worthwhile type of business to invest into and to uncover more about really. Well, you know, what's really interesting is you share some really very powerful statistics about family businesses on your website. And one of them that I'd like to share is 85% of startups are funded with family money. So tell me a little bit about how you've experienced throughout sort of the last 10 years. You know, you mentioned you started the magazine in 2008 during a financial crisis and sort of we find ourselves here we are how many years later in a similar position. So how are you finding things like startups and finding that love money for family businesses? How has it changed or is it changed? Oh, I don't think that'll ever really change. I mean, first of all, I want to just give a disclaimer, right? Like, I think like one of our pursuits is definitely to get more data around family businesses sure. and their behavior. I think we're still at a very native stage when it comes to that. The data that's there, we qualify. It's very good data, but it's only the only data that's out there. So right. I'm still, right. we're still very great advocates to try and have more comprehensive, like you know, um, sure. information, information around and, and statistics around family businesses, and it's coming. Fortunately, the field is picking up, has picked up massively over the last few years. So we're very optimistic in having some more insights, some more quantitative sure. insights in the future. I'm fairly certain that these numbers tally though, because we see it every day and we see it all the time around us. I think that behavior has probably always been there and will probably always be there. Because I think when you have either family money or you're part of a family business, you think in terms of multi-generation, multiple generations. And, and what happens through that is that you realize that you constantly need innovation. You constantly need new ideas. and. Sometimes we are encouraged as next-gen family business members to treat our very established family business with every generation should treat its established family business as a startup, right? Like Because right. technically right. you should bring that level of reinvention, that level of innovation to, to it every time. So I actually think that that fit between family, money, and startups makes total sense to me because like running a family business, running a business successfully across generations is a constant feat of reinvention. So I understand the attraction to the startup world for family businesses, because it's like, yes, this is where the source, source of inspiration is, like, you know, where we discover new things that are going to give us a competitive edge or that are going to give us a continuation of our wealth in a different shape or form. It's a nice way of testing out new industries in case we're interested in diversification, right? Like, so, and if you have that kind of capital, it is definitely something that we keep uh, keep seeing. Of course, there's a very frequent format of this, which is that, you know, like my family does, like, you know, my, like our family money went into startups that we ran ourselves as well. Like, so that's also something that you frequently see that probably largely goes undocumented to be fair. Like, you know, that's also the thing, like, you know, because you probably don't even know the extent of this in real life. I think there must, it must be even, even more significant than what we think right now. Right, I would agree. And what about content marketing? So, you know, you and I have had a conversation on another day about globalization and how, you know, everybody's scrambling to put products and services online, right? Because we see it as the window now to opportunity being that, you know, we have so many restrictions being placed on our freedoms for in the business marketplace. So mm -hmm. in terms of content, what are some of the things that you're seeing folks are doing that are perhaps innovative to open up the doors for those international markets? Oh, yeah, it's a big question. I think that, um, so I'm, just to explain why I'm passionate about this, right? Like I, I think our motto is growth through content because simply because we underst we, we've understood because we came from publishing and we started 
providing content marketing services because we understand the power of what content is capable in doing for your brand and for your presence, right? Like, because if you think about it, you have all of these new channels at your disposal as a business and most businesses don't know what to feed through them and how to sort of like reach their clients at the other end of those channels. And um, it's really interesting to see how we've gone from talking about globalization versus localization to actually the only thing that matters, which is personalization in right. your marketing, right? <laughs> that's true. So this is really interesting. It's a new shun, basically, that's yeah. come in that's much more important than anything else because I'm not even talking in terms of global or local anymore. I'm talking at an individual level. Like, you know, how customized can the experience be for my customer at the other end of this channel, um, no matter where they are? You know what I mean? Like, right. if you have that ability, and I think... A lot of brand, a lot of companies have, because of COVID, have had to accelerate this. And the challenge that a lot of businesses are facing now, I think, is that like their marketing is cluttered, and like because there's been this traditional approach of separating online from offline, right? And sort of like seeing it as two separate things, and these things cannot talk to each other, which is of course like a very time-consuming, and I would say like maybe potentially also a very expensive strategy. So. Um, it's really to be encouraged for companies to understand that, like, and that's even before the content question, really. It's like to ask ourselves, well, do we actually know what the behavior is of our customer at the other end? What kind of channels do they prefer to, to use? How do they like their information? And then ask ourselves whether we are actually, you know, uh, responding to those preferences and responding to those emotions. The content side of it is then just very powerful because once you've asked yourself all those questions and you have answers to it, the content that you put out there should always be a response to the customer emotions and to the needs of the customer because that customer centricity now, again, as I said, not globalization, not localization, personalization. I mean, this is how strong the consumer power is today and for all of us. And I think from a content point of view, family businesses might have an advantage because Family businesses are like, I always say like, you know, they're walking, talking movie scripts, right? Like we also right. have this filmmaking service. That's why, right? Like, because it's like, it's a movie waiting to happen. And it's, right. I think in terms of like that storytelling ability, et cetera, family businesses are an, at an advantage because consumers are genuinely interested in, you know, the culture the and people. what happens behind the scenes and the people yeah. and the family, right? Like, right. so you have a big edge as a family business, I think when it comes to content marketing, because, you know, you have a great story very likely because you've beaten right. the odds which is very inspiring to people particularly now actually yes um yeah. you know beating the odds is a very inspiring thing for people but it's still based on the premise that we have to understand today on what kind of like technical um that marketing has turned into a data science and you have to understand that data science and you have to understand that this requires you to develop your knowledge and to sort of like look at this in a very different way than you used to so do you find that the language that people are using in their content marketing has changed? Because, you know, if you think way back in the day, it was all about featuring the bells and whistles of the product or the service that we were providing. And I'm finding now that the, the conversations that we're having are a little bit more, as you say, about the personality of the individual behind the brand, where, you know, we're asking questions and looking for engagement. So if if you were in our listening audience and you were thinking you, you understood the whole idea of personalization, if you were going to give somebody a tip on how to change the conversation so that they could get in a little more engagement from their customer, what advice could you give them? 
Well, stop talking about yourself. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's like, of course, like there's still a lot of brands out there that think that they're going to make a dent by saying me, 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 me. And it's just not, it's not me, me, me time. It's, it's just, it's over, right? Like it's, it's, um, and I think this comes more than it comes from COVID or anything else. It comes from the fact that the new generation is coming into decision-making power, right? Like, so, um, millennials have very different priorities like they have very different habits they have very different types of loyalties to brands like you know like i just saw a study from linkedin that says that most millennials while they are using a product or a service are always in parallel still researching competition so imagine like so even when you've acquired the customer in the millennials like you know they're still they're constantly aware of how many options they have out there so yeah you better stop talking about yourself and start talking with your customer because really it's almost the same, I would say, it's a similar synergies really as it is in any good relationship. I mean, I can't imagine anyone expecting to build a relationship with someone else by just sitting there and talking about themselves and never asking the other person a question of how they feel or what they need, right? Like, I mean, how does that even work? Again, here, I think that family businesses could be at an advantage, any size that they are, whether multinational or not, because family businesses, when you've survived several generations, usually there's a high awareness of what customer loyalty has meant to you and your success. Right. And so translating that now into all channels, so not just on the face-to-face -face basis, but really taking that language into all channels that you're using, right? Like, so whether it's brick and mortar or whether it's social media or whether it's your website or whatever, um, that should be the goal. Like, you know, just give your customers the same or the similar experience across all platforms so that they feel like, you know, they're embedded inside an ex a brand experience that's consistent. And uh, so I think, I think it's a really great opportunity for people today to have a closer look, to have a more critical look at, at this and to really ask themselves, well, did we really do our homework or did we just say like, oh, offline doesn't exist anymore. Let's do the exact same thing that we've done offline and just online. do it online or, and that's patchwork, right? Like that's not gonna last you. That's just like, you know, taping the, the broken mast here. Like it just doesn't right. work. Like, you know, so, um, so hopefully a lot of businesses are gonna realize this is a real opportunity for reinvention and repositioning and to say like, you know what? Let's start by looking at the customer emotions, understand what matters to them and meet them where, where they want to be met as opposed to imposing what we think is so important to us, right? Like I think right. this is this is right. really, but it's, it's hard. It's difficult to make that shift. Yeah, it's a big yeah. cultural shift. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that I've noticed. So say that you know, I know a lot of sort of entrepreneurial startups, and then all of a sudden, after twenty or thirty years of being in business, they have a family member who says, "I'd like to belong to the." You know, I want to continue the trend. I that may be a. a a child, it could even be a sibling. So, you know, I don't think anyone starts out saying this is going to be a multi-generational family business. You know, I think that most entrepreneurs start with a great idea and they yeah. go on their way. And then the next thing you know, you know, there's a next generation of interest. So for that second generation of which you certainly are in your own business, you know, what was the sort of tipping point for you to say that, yes, I want to belong to this, you know, bigger picture and take over that what started as a dream and continue with that journey. Uh, again, I think I wish I could say there was that much intent behind it, but like, <laughs> you know, we're we're like the kind of we're a very close knit family, and I think it right. starts out with you just help out. You just it's yeah. just your duty. You just help out. You sort of like grow into it, then you tumble into it. I think for me, 
when we rebranded and created Orbis Terra Media five years ago, that was probably the first conscious, deliberate career decision that I made. And that was after right. seven years in the family business of just firefighting, doing all sorts of things, right? I always encourage on our on our women and family business um, podcast, we always talk about this, that, you know, it's okay to tumble into it, but at some point you need to get your feet and make sure that it's a conscious decision. Because otherwise what, what ends up happening is you end up spending your career fulfilling um, the vision of a founder as opposed to your own vision. And right. that's dangerous because uh, the thing is that like every family business needs that fresh blood, that fresh perspective that every generation can bring in. And if you, if you um, put uh, too much emphasis on that first generation that of course usually like defeats the odds in a spectacular way, right? Like, I mean, my father's and my mother's story is sensational. Like, you know, it's like, you don't see that. How, like, I don't, I just still don't know how they did it. Like, and I think, um, that's a very attractive thing to keep as a sort of like, you know, this is how we should always do it. But of course it's not realistic because a business grows, there are different requirements. You need different type of people in the business, like to make it work. Like, you know, you can't only have entrepreneurs and visionaries and founders. You have to have people who are good at processes, administration, structuring, et cetera. Like, you know, um, so so it's it's a different requirement every time, but I think, there is an attraction. I think I, I'm hoping that a lot of millennials or like a lot of Gen Zs will find their ways into the family business because these are very purpose driven uh, generations. Right. And because um, the situation for us was different, like we've inherited a planet with like, you know, a lot of problems. And there's a lot about like social impact and purpose driven sort of like careers are very much at the forefront of our of our sort of like existence. Sure. And if family businesses can strategically position themselves as being interesting employers for that generation, I think that will be a huge boost for their continuity again, right? Like because I think a family business in and of itself is actually an attractive place to work. Right. Um, if if you allow the next generation to sort of like really make its mark, take over at some point and really just like, you know, uh, allow them to thrive with it in their own way. So, you know, you've mentioned that you're a very close-knit family, and I can only imagine what dinner conversations would have been like, you know, as you were growing up. Did your parents, were your parents very open about the challenges and struggles of their business as they were moving through the various different uh, years and building on their own success with you and your sisters as part of that next generation? I've never heard my parents complain growing up. So they That's would tell really us remarkable. everything. They would tell us everything, but they would never complain. And every problem was shown like an opportunity. That's really very amazing, Ramia. Yeah, they, they are amazing, honestly. Like I credit my parents with practically everything. Like, so I think that they're, they've done, they've defeated the odds so, so massively. And I think that, um, and I think that attitude, it's that resilience that was instilled. I like, you know, however bad you think this problem is, like, first of all, my mom was always of the attitude, yeah, if you're not starving somewhere, like you don't have a problem, like, you know, you need right. to see it in the relative yeah. terms, like, you know, right. you don't really right. have a problem. Um, so that survivor instinct that came in through that and that constant, almost um, annoying positivity <laughs> that, that people tell me our optimism is borderline annoying, which I understand. But like, um, I think it's just been instilled there. And I think my parents have been extremely protective of our childhood. Like, you know, they let us be children. They let us, they didn't burden us with 
responsibility, but there was a participation element to it for sure. There was a sense of like helping out that wasn't even a question. Um, and I think, you know, my dad never regretted having three daughters because we always joke with him that probably sons would not have acted the same way. <laughs> but daddy's well, little girl got him back, you know, like kind of a thing. So, so yeah, so no, I, um, we're particularly blessed. So if you were going to, you, you know, you've had uh, this wonderful opportunity from an international platform to meet, I'm sure, some awesome individuals who have taken, you know, this great idea and turned it into something even more amazing. If you had to sort of distill uh, a quality that you've seen over and over and over when you meet some of those folks in these family businesses, and you've already mentioned resilience and optimism, is there something that really sticks out in your mind that you can say, you know, almost everyone that we speak to shares this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had the privilege of interviewing hundreds of family business leaders. And I'll tell you something like I've some of the times I was the first person to ever interview these people. And after I would come out of that interview, I would just not understand why, because these are extraordinary people, like extraordinary leaders. They might never make it into Forbes. They might never make it into any kind of they might not even have social media, but in their quiet way, in their corner of the world, they're making such a big difference. And I think this is for me like, oh, it's it's the humility it teaches you as someone who gets to make this content, but also hopefully every reader um, is only, I would say like, you know, exceeded by the fact that you can learn so much from how they approach like their, their, their challenges, right? Like big or small. And I think if you're asking me about the qualities I think, you know, we talked about the optimism, but I think like it's really those people that marry that optimism with that pragmatism that you need, right? Like to run a successful business, right? Like there's this optimism and there's, but also there's a very deeply pragmatic side to it. Like, you know, the job just has to get done and we have to do certain things to do it right, right? Like, and I think it's the same thing with families that manage their wealth. Like, you know, it's just that I think, those that impressed me the most were, I think, the most who were the most humble, but who had the biggest clarity of purpose, right? Like where it was just like, you know what, this is it. And it might almost seem boring to the outside world, but what they create in their own sort of like simple, sort of like very purpose-driven uh, way lasts for such a long time and benefits right. more people than they can probably even quantify themselves, which, I just think it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of the biggest privileges of our lives to be allowed to tell those stories, that's for sure. Well, I certainly know that, um, you know, I started this series, Share Your Stories, because I wanted to give people an opportunity to share their voice. Because a lot of times, you know, we see these wonderful logos and marketing campaigns and strategic advertising, and, and we don't really get to know the people behind the businesses. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's to your point about the personalization now of how we speak with our customer. So one of the things that we do in the Share Your Stories blog is we ask individuals to share three words of advice. And some folks have said to me, you know, is this three words of, of advice for my younger self? Or is this three words of advice for my team? And I say, you know what, it has to come from the heart to your point about being purpose driven. So if you were to share three words um, for just your own experience in having the opportunity to be the CEO of a large international organization, what would your three words be? Wish everyone more. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Can you, put a little <laughs> <laughs> Can you put a little texture about wish everyone more? First of all, it's not easy to only do it in three words, but I just thought like, you know, it's like that. Because you know what I realized when I thought about this, Trish? A lot of advice, you start by thinking like, tell people don't. And, but when you yes. make it into a negative, the sentence automatically becomes longer. So you can't make it into three words when it's a negative. It's very difficult. But unless you literally say, don't do that. Like, right. you know, that right. kind of thing. But that's not very inspiring advice. So I decided to go with a positive one, which is like, wish everyone more. It's a piece of advice that was given to me by an interviewee many years ago, Patricia Velasquez, who is a philanthropist and an actress. Um, she said to me, whenever you are, this is the biggest test of character. Whenever you are in direct comparison with other people, you're competing with them. It's difficult. You doubt yourself. Like, you know, you feel like you're constantly under this stress of comparison and like, you know, other people are doing better than you. Look at everything around you. Look at everyone striving for their success. Look at what they wish for and wish them more. That's really very, and very profound. I found it such a freeing piece of yeah. advice because the moment you feel that tinge of envy or you feel that moment of you're comparing yourself unfavorably with someone else, just look at them and wish them more of what they're looking for. And it's just, it puts you on that moral high ground, as I call it, that feels really good and makes you allows you to refocus on what it is that you're after because comparison is really as my mother always says it's the root of all evil so i think like it's a it's a it's a real disease that we have nowadays and that it's something that really a lot of people are struggling with so i think um yeah so that was probably one of the most important pieces of advice i've ever gotten in my life yeah well i want to thank you very much uh for spending some time with us today ramia because you know i think we often think when we're on these global platforms that what happens in our own little corner of the world is really rather unique. And I've always been an advocate to say, you know, our problems are the same as everyone else's. Our challenges are the same. Our successes are the same. And you know, it, what really just differentiates is where we are in terms of the geography. Absolutely. I would agree with that. We're all human. Absolutely. That's what last year has shown us. <laughs> yes, That's, for sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. So if I can just say to you and, and throw your three words back to you is I certainly wish you more on your platforms uh, with your family and all the wonderful things that you're doing to try to connect the dots and help people manage their own level of success. So I'd like to thank you very much for spending some time with us in this edition of Keeping It Real. My pleasure, Trish. Thank you so much for having me. And for all of those in our viewing and listening audience, I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion where we've introduced the person behind the logo, given you a little bit of a perspective from Ramia and her family business. And we'd like to thank and invite you to share your story on shareyourstories.online. Thank you very much.